As anyone who has taken um, biochemistry knows, it's the dose that makes the poison. Things aren't toxic on their own. They're toxic at a dose level, at a concentration. Even salt is toxic if you eat a few teaspoons. Uh, it can kill you. So something that's you know very useful in lower doses becomes toxic at higher doses. And this is the case with any chemical. Uh, and the question is, what is the toxic dose? The Rational View is a weekly series hosted by me, Dr. Alan Scott, providing a rational, evidence-based perspective addressing important societal issues. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Rational View. I'm your host, Dr. Al Scott. This episode is entitled Vaccines, the Evidence. Recently, the World Health Organization identified vaccine hesitancy as one of the top 10 health risks to society. The top 10 vaccine hesitancy. Why are people hesitant to get a vaccination? Why are you uncertain? Maybe you've heard vaccinations have been linked to autism. Maybe you've heard vaccines contain mercury or other toxic chemicals. In this podcast, I'd like to review some of the major misconceptions which drive vaccine hesitancy and also the evidence which shows that vaccines do work. Thank you for tuning in. Please hit like if this podcast resonates with you and follow my podcast page for more information. And if you want to discuss, you can join me on my Facebook page, The Rational View with Dr. Al Scott, or at Al Scott Rational on Facebook. The evidence for vaccine effectiveness is uh, rampant. It's everywhere. Uh, rabies has an effective vaccine. Tetanus has an effective vaccine. There are vaccines that have decreased uh, the risk uh, of diphtheria, pertussis or whooping cough in infants, hepatitis. Smallpox was eradicated by vaccines in 1979. Polio was eliminated in most advanced countries uh, and is close to eradication in the whole world. Measles still kills over 100,000 people every year, although this number has been declining due to very effective vaccination campaigns in poor countries where uh, there are a lot more outbreaks than there are in, in North America and, and uh, other more advanced countries. Measles was actually declared eliminated in the U.S. in the year 2000. Declared eliminated. All the cases uh, in the U.S. from that time period came from outside of the U.S. In 2004, the U.S. had a, reached a minimum there were only 37 reported measles cases in all of the United States, all imported from other countries. By the present, in 2019, the numbers have rebounded, exceeding 1,000 cases again in the United States. And there have been local outbreaks in areas where exemptions for vaccines are allowed, and this has contributed uh, to the explosion of this preventable disease. Now, to, f to address some of the uh, reasons people may have hesitancy of vaccines, I thought I would go through some of the uh, leading vaccine hesitancy myths. Some people 
uh, have said that the majority of people who get a disease are vaccinated. Well, this is actually true in some cases because vaccines are not 100% effective. Some vaccines only confer something like 70 or 80% protection. So certainly if the majority of people have been vaccinated and it's only 80% effective, then the then you know 20% of these people could get the disease. The the good part about high vaccination numbers is herd immunity. If if most of the people you interact with are unlikely to become infected by the disease because of their vaccination, then the disease is unlikely to spread and it will die out in a, in a population which is effectively vaccinated. If there is an outbreak, however, some people that have been affected will get the disease. That's just the statistics of the thing. Other myths. Some people say, I've heard of deaths associated with vaccines, horrible reactions. People have had these horrible reactions. Well, when millions of people are getting vaccinated, then very rare occurrences and coincidences will happen. In this age, we get to see all of the really crazy coincidences because we're all connected. And if millions of people are getting the vaccine, then statistically, there are going to be some that die and some that get sick. And there's going to be an association made to the vaccination. The key question we have to ask ourselves as a rational society is, what fraction of people would have had these things happen anyways? For those unlucky few who, who do die or get sick soon after a vaccination, they are the ones whose parents are going to go on Oprah to spread the word about vaccines causing such and such. People uh, in a situation where they've had a loved one get sick uh, are psychologically predisposed to, to find a link to explain the bad things. Randomness doesn't work for people in a vulnerable position. Everyone is reaching out uh, for an explanation to find out, you know, everyone needs meaning in their life. Why did I get this? Uh, is this a punishment or is this a, a coincidence? No, it can't be a coincidence. There has to be a, a reason. Bad things don't happen for no reason. So in the same vein, diphtheria and pertussis and tetanus or DPT uh, vaccine, has been associated with sudden infant death syndrome. However, correlation does not equal causation. These are diseases that, pe that kids used to get uh, when they were young, so they give the vaccine when the kids are young. It just so happens that sudden infant death syndrome also happens to young people, uh, to infants. Um, so there's obviously a good chance of a correlation here. And for examples of correlation does not equal causation. For example, ice cream sales and shark attacks are highly correlated. It's mainly because they happen in the summer when people go to the beach. It doesn't mean that one causes the other. If every kid gets uh, this, this vaccine, the DBT vaccine, and, and SIDS, sudden infant death syndrome, happens to kids around the same age that they get this vaccine, then there's going to be several unlucky coincidences. And parents who have lost a child want a scapegoat. The unexplained death of an otherwise healthy infant doesn't seem possible to the parents. Guilt descends. And here is this 
big juicy anti-vax online literature that's a lifeline that gets them to transfer their guilt and redirect their grief to uh, vaccines. And sometimes this is just a, a genetic defect or uh, an unlucky accident. There's nobody that should be blamed in these situations. And unfortunately, vaccines have been demonized by a certain group in the population, I think perhaps due to their fear of, of big pharma uh, and past uh, infractions of uh, the pharmaceutical industry. And this is why we need to take anecdotal evidence with a big grain of salt. There are going to be people whose kids die, and that's a horrible tragedy. And some of these will have had a vaccine recently. And you're going to hear the anecdotes. And it's very hard to say, well, I'm sorry, but maybe this was a coincidence. And you can't say that to the parents because they're not going to listen. However, science and statistics uh, can analyze this situation. And there was a study in 2013 which used the online health information from over 13 million vaccinated people and showed that the death rate one or two months following vaccination was actually lower than that in the general public. And this is the sort of blind uh, study that makes good science. There's no uh, obvious chance for bias in these sort of results. Now, vaccines aren't all perfect. There have been a few cases of anaphylactic reactions to vaccines. Less than one in one million vaccinations results in an anaphylactic shock situation. So far, I don't know of any of them who have, that have resulted in deaths. There's been, you know, handfuls of these things in, in various studies, and none that I know of have, re have resulted in death. In this case, the benefit of the vaccine significantly outweighs the risk. Other uh, sources of vaccine uh, injuries or deaths are attenuated live vaccines. So sometimes they take a virus and they weaken it so that it doesn't have its, the sort of um, virulence associated with the wild strain. And people can then build up antibodies to the weakened vaccine and not get the disease. However, if you have a severely compromised immune system, this is not a great idea because the attenuated vaccine can still cause the disease in these people. And there have been a handful of deaths from situations where people with compromised immune systems have been vaccinated. And that's why this is no longer recommended for live vaccines. Other vaccine side effects, people have been known to faint in the minutes after being injected. Not many. And once in a while, one of these people can fall down and hit their heads and die. This is not a common occurrence. Now, other myths, myths and uh, misleading facts. People say vaccines contain toxins. There's thimerosal, which contains mercury, and mercury is a neurotoxin. And there's formaldehyde and other preservatives in the vaccine. But the level of these things is so small that it's not really a health concern. And it's much, it's well below the safety limits uh, that have been defined by studies. So, sure, there is a level of concern that's appropriate for the amount of testing of any vaccine 
and to make sure that society understands the risks. This is warranted. Mistakes have been made in the past. You're probably, and not necessarily in the vaccine market, but the most recognizable mistake of not enough testing for a, for a drug probably is thalidomide. This was marketed in uh, 1961 as a treatment for morning sickness. But it turns out it was teratogenic. It caused birth defects in uh, pregnant in the babies of pregnant women who took this drug. And over the one year that it was marketed, thousands of babies ended up with deformities. This catastrophe caused a huge change in how thoroughly we test drugs before licensing them. In the case of thalidomide, animal testing didn't show the problem, except at very high doses, well beyond what was used in humans. At this time, however, this level of just animal testing was typical of drugs that were being introduced on the market. However, many people hold up thalidomide as an example of how science has failed us in the past and that we need to be uh, careful of science. In my opinion, this was not a failure of science. It was a failure of regulations. It was a failure of uh, allowing drug companies to do minimal testing um, this is a failure of how politicians and the public uh, understood the science. Most people are unable to assess how much testing and regulation is adequate and, and of course, rely on government agencies to protect us from this sort of thing. Or they did in the past, anyways, before the demonization of science and knowledge that we're, under, that we're seeing now in, in popular culture. Many people don't have the necessary background and statistics to skeptically assess marketing claims from big pharma or other organizations that are uh, spouting pseudoscience and, and marketing hype. The uh, people that don't have the basic scientific literacy to understand that all published scientific studies are not uh, revealed truth uh, and you can see my first podcast on what is science if you want to know more about how science reaches conclusions and builds up evidence. So thalidomide was a failure of government agencies that were licensing these things and interpreting um, the testing from the companies. Today's lack of trust in scientists and government agencies means that People find themselves lost and confused and even more vulnerable, I think, to internet pseudoscience. In the thalidomide case, there is actually a, a bright story for science. There is a young scientist, uh, Dr. Francis Oldham Kelsey, at the uh, United States Food and Drug Administration, which is in charge of approving drugs, and, and thalidomide fell in her lap uh, and she looked at the data and she said, well, wow, this is a, an odd drug. Um, I'm not sure I, I trust the level of testing you're doing. I, I'm not going to license thalidomide in the U.S. There, you need to test this on humans to find out if there's any side effects. And she didn't cave in. And she stood her ground. And she saved thousands of lives in the U.S. The lives of thousands of children because she would not cave in to the standard practice of the time uh, to accept the drug company's minimal testing. And in 1962, President Kennedy awarded her the Presidential 
Medal for Distinguished Federal Service for her integrity and bravery. So I see this as a, as a success of science, really. Um, certainly a failure of politics and science and that interface of regulation. Um, but the, the story of Dr. Uh, Francis Oldham Kelsey is the amazing uh, high point in science, in my opinion. So back to the point of toxins and drug testing. So thimerosal, uh, which is the compound in, in certain vaccines that contain mercury, uh, contains a form of mercury called ethylmercury. And this is a product that is quickly excreted from the human body, as opposed to methylmercury, which is the more dangerous form of mercury that we get in, say, fish, or the, that is created from hydroelectricity dams uh, and is concentrated in fish. The reason people put used to put this in, in vaccines is it prevents the growth of bacteria in the vaccine. And you can imagine the sort of reaction you might have and the poisonings that might happen if bacteria were allowed to grow in the vaccines. Uh, and it was removed. This product was removed from childhood vaccines in 2001 out of caution. Um, scientists were not 100% sure that it was perfectly safe. And in fact, if children were getting a lot of thimerosal-associated uh, vaccines, they could be exceeding the safe dose uh, or the safety limits uh, applied by the, uh, the organizations that apply those rules. As anyone who has taken um, biochemistry knows, it's the dose that makes the poison. Things aren't toxic on their own. They're toxic at a dose level, at a concentration. Even salt is toxic if you eat a few teaspoons. Uh, it can kill you. So something that's you know very useful in lower doses becomes toxic at higher doses. And this is the case with any chemical. Uh, and the question is, what is the toxic dose? So when thimerosal is used in vaccines, uh, about one part in 10,000 of the vaccine itself is thimerosal. And this is effective to prevent the growth of bacteria. Now, these days, thimerosal-free uh, vaccines are the rule more than the, uh, the exception. So in the past, they were much more prevalent. Um, but even at these parts of one part in 10,000, you would get a maximum of about 25 micrograms of mercury from a vaccine. And this, if you want to compare to something you might understand uh, better, is equivalent to what you would get from eating about 200 grams of canned tuna. So like, you know, a tin of tuna uh, gives you the same mercury as uh, a vaccination would, uh, would have before 2001. So thimerosal was safely injected with vaccines into millions of children for decades. It is undoubtedly extremely safe. There have been no adverse health effects linked to these injections of, of thimerosal, and yet it was removed out of caution. So it's not in the childhood vaccines anymore. And people have also uh, been cautious and may have heard about autism uh, being linked to vaccinations. 
And this was uh, based on a study by a Dr. Andrew Wakefield in a 1998 paper in The Lancet, which is a respected medical journal. And they found some sort of statistical association between the measles, mumps, and rubella vaccine with the incidence of autism. And they were wondering if there was some sort of factor that linked them. Now, autism is a challenging disease which requires extra care, and families who are dealing with this challenge are often vulnerable to finding scapegoats. Now, this particular paper was picked up by the popular media. It was pushed by non-government organizations, and celebrities got on the bandwagon to cut back on vaccines. I'm not sure why they did, but at that time, there was, again, this cult of nature uh, was emerging, and, and chemicals were, synthetic chemicals were found, you know, were, were the new evil. So Jenny McCarthy uh, had a big factor in, in inducing uh, vaccine hesitancy in those people who followed her. It was later found that the study by Dr. Wakefield was funded by lawyers acting on behalf of the parents of recently diagnosed autistic children. The study was retracted 12 years later uh, due to uh, lack of rigor, but not until after it had spurred a global movement of fear and hesitancy uh, against vaccination. Now, fears continue even after the, the study has been retracted. People still have chemophobia, fear of these synthetic chemicals. And the demonization of these synthetic chemicals even as, as fundamentally different from identical ones isolated from natural sources is not a rational position and yet it exists out there, and it's, it's gaining popularity. It's, you've, you've probably heard of the inaptly named organic movement, where they, where they take the word organic and say that, you know, synthetic organic chemicals are not organic. Uh, that's a, a pet peeve of, of any chemist, I'm sure. Organic means containing carbon. Uh, it doesn't, it's got a, a very uh, specific meaning amongst chemists, and the popular usage of organic to mean natural or mystically uh, pure, in some sense, is, is not at all supported um, by any science. And I'm going to have more, I think, to follow on uh, the organic movement and chemophobia in another podcast. So to summarize, yes, a few unlucky people have died from the rare side effects of vaccines and from errors in the production of vaccines. And as, as Stalin once said, the deaths of a few people are tragic, while the deaths of millions are a statistic. That's not exactly what he said, but it gives you the, the idea. The psychology of rational risk assessment and saving lives is not rational. The anecdote of the tragic vaccine death is a tragedy because of its rarity. The fact that smallpox, now eradicated by vaccinations, used to kill a couple million people every year doesn't register in these people's calculus. Vaccines are truly one of the most effective best demonstrated public health tools that we have 
in our medical arsenal. It has undoubtedly increased the general life expectancy significantly. It's saved millions of lives. It's eliminated much suffering. It's eradicated smallpox. It's eliminated measles and polio from many levels. It's beaten down these frightening pandemics of, of, of dangerous of previously dangerous diseases like tetanus and rabies into something that, oh, we're safe from. So going forward, please consider that the life you save in getting a vaccination could be your own, or it could be a child undergoing cancer treatment who is immunocompromised. Please vaccinate and gently lead those around you to a rational view. Thank you for listening. Please stay tuned next week for my podcast on RF fields. Is my cell phone killing me? If you're enjoying what you're hearing, please consider visiting my patron page and becoming a patron of this podcast at patron.podbean.com slash the rational view.